Greetings in Jesus' name. Thank you for that song, Song of Liberty. I think of the verse that I'll be quoting later on today when the Apostle Paul said in Romans that he's not ashamed of the gospel, for therein is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The power of God. So I want to also bless you all that have given your testimony this morning of what God has done. Rejoice that God's power is still working today. And uh, appreciate the thoughts also this morning. I would have I would have gotten up, but since I was getting up anyhow, I decided to to wait. I thought this morning I would like to actually have a message for the the new Christians, but it's actually a message for all of us, a foundational message, a message on salvation. And so uh, we can all be encouraged, we can all remember You know, when, when life and society and everything gets more and more complex, it's good to come back to the foundation. Of what is actually down at the core? What is actually at the center? And that's what we want to do this morning. Salvation. Salvation is a gift. That's the title of the message. Salvation is a gift. And it's a gift from God. It's been made available, like we've been singing this morning, but it's been made available because the word of God says, because of the death of Jesus on the cross. And so, is it a gift? It's a gift from God. There's actually no way to earn it. There's no way for us to make it. We can't use our tools and make salvation. We have no tools in our toolbox. It is a gift. And this message assumes that we all need salvation. It assumes that we have eternal souls. And that these souls that we have were created in the image of God and our souls will live forever. And that we all sin, like we heard this morning, we all sin and we come short of the glory of God. And that God will judge us, everyone, fairly. And he will judge our sins by banishing us. After after we die, he will judge us and he will banish us from his presence. If we are sinners and we fail and come short of the glory of God, which we do. So we all need salvation. So salvation is a gift. But maybe first we have to ask a question. Do I actually need a savior? We need salvation. What do I need a savior 
years ago, I don't know if I've seen these lately anymore, but I've seen these bumper stickers years ago that said, Jesus is the answer. Do you ever see that bumper sticker? Yeah. I don't know. You ever see them lately? I don't know if they're still around or not, but they definitely had its time. <clears throat> okay. Jesus is the answer. But first we have to ask, the qu- ask what is the question? <laughs> if, G- if someone sees that bumper sticker and says, Jesus is the answer, he said, well, what's the question? <laughs> what's the answer? What for question was first asked to be an answer to? So, if you don't know what the question is, you don't know what Jesus means as far as an answer. So if you see a sign that says the answer is 144, (laughs) what does that mean to you? But if you are a student and you have a math problem, and the math problem is 12 times 12, and you are scratching your head and you are chewing the eraser on your pencil and you're sweating underneath your arms and you're trying uh, trying to figure out what is the answer to this math quotation, and you know that if you get this answer wrong, you'll probably fail the test, then if someone comes to you and says, the answer is 144, and this is how you arrive to it, then that that answer means something to you, because you had a problem. You had a problem, and then someone came with an answer. So, for most people who see the sticker that says, Jesus is the answer, it doesn't mean much to them. But when they feel guilty, when they feel like when they go to bed and they feel guilty about what they've done that day, and they feel something of a dread inside of them that something isn't going to hold out in the end, and they are afraid of Dying because they have a sense that after they die, they're going to be held accountable for what they've done. And they've done wrong. And they know they've done wrong. And when their personal life and their habits are out of control, then it's what Jesus is the answer might become relevant to them. Let's look at a few verses this morning that tell us that we have a problem. These are just familiar verses, but we're going to go through salvation is a gift and go through a salvation, uh, a foundational message. So you can turn to Romans chapter three. We'll go different places in scripture, but Romans chapter three is the chapter we'll stay in the most. This is not completely the Romans road to salvation, but it's similar to that. We have a problem. In Romans chapter 3, we'll just read a few verses from 9 to 12. What then? Are we better than they? And this is Apostle Paul going through a logical argumentation, especially here between the Jews and the Gentiles. No, in no wise. 
For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Or some translations say, not even one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And verse 23, for all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we have a problem. We don't measure up. We fail the standard, and the standard is the glory of God. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, I'm not going to turn there, but there you have the picture that um, our sins are being piled up like there's a dam. And our sins pile up behind the dam. They're piling up. The water, the sins keep on adding and the sins keep on adding. And there's a dam. And at death, at the judgment, God is going to release that dam. And all those sins are going to burst all over us. Complete with all its fury, with all its destructive power, our sins will take care uh, at will overpower us or uh, overwhelm us and destroy us at the judgment. So we have a problem. And the bumper sticker insists that Jesus is the answer. Maybe we should look at this answer a little more. So you can turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, a very familiar verse, the last verse. For the wages of sin is death. Sin needs, sin earns wages. It's a little bit of a different picture of that dam where it, it actually builds up. So when we sin, we're earning wages, and someday we'll get paid. <laughs> That's what it means. So the wages of sin, and what are the wages? It's death, and that death is eternal death. It's death in hell. It's, it's, it's banishment forever from God. But then the rest of the verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there you have a gift. Now, this verse does not tell us how to get the answer. It just tells us that there is an answer and that the answer is through Jesus. So we got that far. Jesus, there is a gift of God. The gift is eternal life and it's through Jesus. Hebrews 9, and I'll just read, I'll just read them if you don't want to turn there. Hebrews 9 verses 27 to 28 is a very similar verse. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. 
And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now this verse is basically make a comparison between one judgment and one sacrifice. That's really what it's doing, but it, it, it includes more. There is a judgment coming for everyone. And since we've all sinned, we better find an answer. And the second verse of Hebrews there alludes to that answer. Jesus bears our sins. He takes other people's sins and he took them upon himself. That's how he takes care of our sins. The sins that were being damned up, that were being damned up, that are going to overwhelm us after we die, Jesus released that dam and took it on himself. Those sins that pilgrim, Christian, in Pilgrim's Progress, when he had that burden on his back, um, he was afraid that those that burden, those sins that were on him, would sink him deeper than the grave, deeper than six foot down, which is actually what our sins do. But the Lord Jesus takes them. But most people, including us, and we heard it this morning, we tend to think when we are faced with our failures and our sins, we tend to think we're going to do better. We're going to try harder. That's what the Jews did in Jesus' day. They were attempting to become righteous by keeping the law. So it was a major burden Paul had when he wrote Romans and Galatians. It was a major burden that he had is those Jews. They didn't know they were in bondage. Well, Paul made a strong statement in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. He said this, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If you can get righteous by any other way, then Jesus would not have to die. I know at different times over the years I've asked people whether they would go to heaven when they die and why. And they would say, well, they, they've been a good person. They, they have uh, treated people well. They do this and that and they give all their reasons that. And then a good question to come back on is, why then did Jesus need to die? Well, I was baptized. I'm a church member. That's why you're saved? Why did Jesus need to die? Why did Jesus have to come down to this earth and all that mess and gore and deal with everything if we can be good people? Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes any other way, then Christ died for no purpose. There is no reason to believe in Jesus, and Jesus is not the answer if we can deal with the problem by keeping the law or by reforming our life or by being good enough. There's another statement made, and I would like you to turn to that in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. There's 
Some more strong statements made here, and we're going to dig in a little bit more here. Brethren, Paul speaking, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. They're not saved, but my prayer is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In these verses, we have two righteousnesses. Righteousnesses. <laughs> I couldn't, uh, my, my spell checker didn't like that word. But there are two righteousnesses in these verses. It's man's righteousness and it's God's righteousness. Man's righteousness looks like it might work. But it doesn't. It's not enough. God witnesses against it. It's not enough to stave off his sins or his guilt. Neither is man's righteousness able to restore our relationship with God. Then there's something called God's righteousness. Without stating it here in these verses, it's assumed that the righteousness of God is what we need. And again, Christ is proposed as the answer. So let's look at these righteousness. First we'll look at man's righteousness, then we'll look at God's righteousness. And now we'll turn back to Romans chapter 3, where we started. And we'll go down these verses, starting at verse 21. No, starting at verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul had just gotten done getting everybody guilty. Jew, Gentile, heathen, religious, refined, barbaric, and you can put all your neighbors in there. You can put all the different countries in the world. Everybody is guilty. That's what Paul had done. But his most difficult people he was dealing with were the Jews. Not Unlike traditional conservative people today, those are the people who had the hardest time to convince that they're not righteous, that they need the Lord. But so he shows them that the law, instead of making them righteous, the law was making them guilty. (laughs) What was the law doing? You are not righteous because you are keeping the law. You are becoming more and more guilty because you are breaking the law. 
that's what the law was doing. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Another translation, a paraphrase of uh, verse 18 says, For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So that's man's righteousness. That's how far we get when we try to keep the law. All the further we get is more guilty because we break the law. So when it comes to man establishing his own righteousness, clearly we have a problem. We will either be discouraged or we will either be Deceived, discouraged, or deceived. And maybe there's one in between. I don't know. I didn't think of another D to put in there. Discouraged, or deceived, or indifferent. (laughs) Maybe we could put that one in there. So we have a problem. When it comes to establishing our own righteousness, it doesn't meet the need of the hour. So let's look a little further. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested or is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those first two words... But now, do you hear the difference in tone? A moment ago, we heard our condemnation, the law. We can't keep it. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But now, it's a totally different tone. We hear... A cheerful voice. We hear a different tone, something that gladdens our ear. But now, there's an answer. But now, what? The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. There is a righteousness from God that bypasses keeping of the law. It's not dependent on the law, although Paul says that the law did witness, the Old Testament did witness and said this is actually, this is actually going to happen. But it's called God's righteousness because it is God's plan. It, and it's in distinction from all plan, from, from all the other plans that any kind, any person can set up. It's God's righteousness, it originated with him. It differs from all others and it claims God as the author and it tends to his glory. It is called his righteousness. It is the way in which he receives and treats people as righteous. Let's keep on reading here. Being justified 
freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin that are past through the forbearance of God. I declare to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, we could spend a whole message just unpacking these verses. There's, there's way more in here than I'm going to get out. But what I want to ping out a few things. Justified freely. Freely. A gift. Acquittal of guilt. That dam of sin that's released. This is something that you can't buy. This is something you can't earn. You can't work for it. You can receive it as a gift. <clears throat> Justified freely. And that stands in opposed, an opposition to what is purpose or what is obtained by labor. It's a free, undeserved gift. And it's not merited by obedience to the law. It doesn't mean, however, that it is obtained without a price or without merit. It means someone else paid the price. That's what it means. And it actually mentioned there, the Lord Jesus bought it with his own blood. How do we get this free gift? It is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that price was high. That price was more than any of us could pay. In fact, the costliness of that gift, what it cost Christ to purchase us, gives a little bit of an idea how far we have fallen from God's um, approval or his, his, where we were at in meeting his standard. We were very, very far away from God, and it took a high price. So we were justified freely by his grace. Grace is a multifaceted word, and I know that we talk about the grace as the influence of God upon the heart and its reflection in life. But what it really means here is God is showing his favor towards us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to show his favor to us. But we were in sin. When we were in sin, God looked at us and he saw a marred, well, he saw his own image in us still, but it was marred, marred by sin, marred by rebellion. And he saw that. And in his heart, he loved us. And he had good will toward us. And so he made his moves to redeem us. That's what it means by grace. Being justified freely by his grace, by his goodwill, by his love, by his purpose 
to do something about our problem. The grace of God is God's love seeking us out with the purpose to bless us. And how does he do that? Well, he do, does that through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now we have the word redemption. Redeeming means to purchase something back. In the Old Testament, when you, uh, well, it, it actually stems back to, you, you know, but I thought the plagues in Egypt and the last plague where the oldest son of every household and the oldest, the firstborn animal, and the whole thing, that one night when the death angel went, somebody died in each household. After that, God said, every firstborn of animal and people, persons, is mine. But you can buy them back by redeeming them and for the, the the price of a I don't I never figured out whether the old, only the oldest son or the oldest child I haven't ever figured that one out but when uh, when you had the firstborn of any woman that child had to be bought back with five shekels it was redeemed it was bought back and then it became their own but they had to actually pay for it well the Lord Jesus, there is a redemption. A payment is being made here. There is a price, and there is something being bought. Well, it is us that is being bought. Where were we at? Well, we were sold under sin. We were sold to the devil. We were sold to our own selves. And so the Lord Jesus paid the price on the cross, when he died and shed his blood, he redeemed us. So we have the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He paid the price by taking our place and buying us back. We have a verse here in, um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, where it talks about him taking our place. Christ hath redeemed us, has bought us back from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Christ became cursed. Well, what was the curse of the law? <laughs> he bought us from the curse of the law. Well, the curse of the law was, if you disobey this, if you sin, you will die. That's the curse. That's where you and I are. And the Lord Jesus then took our place. And so, and talking about the Lord Jesus in the verse here, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. I'm going to change the order of those words. And I didn't do it lightly. I studied it whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. I'm going to change the order. I, bring, I believe it brings out the correct meaning here. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, which puts an emphasis 
it, it, it disconnects the two thoughts better. You have a propitiation. You have a, you have a sacrifice that has been given. And then you have faith in that sacrifice. That's what I wanted to bring out. God set Jesus forth to be a propitiation. And basically a propitiation is to make atonement or to shelter or to shield the sinner from the punishment due his sin. And the result of a, that shield is that you escape punishment for your sin. And that is received by faith. God made it that the sacrifice shall avail to only to those who believe in Jesus Christ. So when we say about Jesus is the answer, you need to believe the words of Christ. And when anyone believes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wording this wrong. And let me read this here. God thought it fit that the sacrifice shall avail only for those who believe the words of Christ. And when they believe, he, that's God, set forth Christ to be a means of sheltering men from punishment. And that mean is effective to each person when they believe. So now we have an emphasis on faith. And uh, that would almost be a secondary title. Salvation is a gift. But that gift is received by faith. Believers live because Christ died. He saved them from death by dying in their place. And... If he died in our place, it is right to say that the blood was the redemption price. What is the punishment for sin? The whole way through the scripture, the punishment for sin is death. In the Old Testament, of course, you had certain capital punishments as well. But the soul that sins, it shall die. Christ has saved all believers from the due penalty of their sins by himself enduring that penalty. Then that makes him the believer's propitiatory sacrifice. So now we come to faith. Remember, we are speaking about the righteousness that comes from God. A righteousness with God that is not a works. And now I'm going to read some more verses in there in Romans chapter 9. And I really want you to turn there if you have your Bible there. In astounding, astounding verses. Verses 30 to 32. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. 
Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Here we have a spectacular failure and a spectacular success in these two verses. And the difference between the two is the issue of faith. And the question would come to us, well, which one of these two camps am I in? Am, am I in? Am I in the camp of righteousness by works or the righteousness by faith? Am I righteous by faith, whatever that means? Or am I seeking to be righteous by law, whatever that means? We haven't described what it means, it just, it just stated here. The difference is the difference between the two is you either attain true righteousness or you don't. Well, how can I know? Well, Paul does a lot of explaining in Romans, so we'll look at Romans chapter 4, and he uses Abraham as an example of faith. Remember, um, we've been in chapter 3, and he's describing the righteousness of God, which is not of law. It's a righteousness that is of faith. So we'll keep on reading here in verse 1 of Romans 4. What shall we say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now unto him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Can we grasp those words? His faith is counted for righteousness. His faith. Your faith. Believing on him that justifieth the ungodly. How did Abraham do that? Well, we can go to Genesis and we can see where God promises Abraham that this land that he shows, that your descendants are going to own this land. Okay, okay. Abraham's 75 years old about. Years later, we have God just giving Abraham a blessing and tell him he's going to bless him. And then Abraham questions God and he says, God, how's that going to be? I don't have any children and the servant in my household, a servant, is going to inherit everything I have. How is this going to work? Then God took him outside. Oh, well, first God told him, no, said, you are going to have your own son. You're going to have your own son. Then God took him outside and told him to look at the stars. And then he told him, well, I'll read it here. Now, look now toward heaven and count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he, God, said to Abraham, so shall thy seed be. And then here's the verse that Paul pulls out. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. He believed the Lord. That there is a key to righteousness for everyone. That's what Paul's saying. The righteousness which is by faith believed the Lord, and he was reckoned righteous on that basis. Abraham did not have the law. And horror of horrors to the Jews, he wasn't even circumcised. But he was righteous before God. And he was righteous by faith. How was that? God told him something very improbable. In fact, God told him something that was impossible. But he believed it. The next morning, he went to Walmart and he bought a baby crib. With a blue blanket. <laughs> he believed God. And he counted it for him for righteousness. He said. God you said it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order my life. Around what you said. But now if we look at Abraham's life. He didn't keep that faith all the time. <laughs> he had some failures. Some spectacular failures. In fact the whole incidence. With, with Ishmael came after this. But. God said, this is the man I will interact with. He has some rough spots. He's going to have some failures. But this man that believes me, that's the man. That's the man. And I will count him righteous. And we'll read a little bit more about Abraham there in uh, just in chapter 4, verse 17 to 25. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead before him whom he believed. In other words, Abraham believed God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, which is God spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. And there is, well, that's Paul reinstating that imputed. Abraham was a believer. Imputed means it's reckoned or accounted for or esteemed. In other words, here is Abraham. God esteemed him as a righteous man. Now, let's look at, uh, at verse 26, I believe it is. No. Verse 23 there. There is no 26. Let's just keep on reading here. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, here is Paul's 
real purpose for bringing Abraham out and explaining this. Us also, not written for his sake, for us also, the gift of righteousness from God, that reckoning righteous, that esteeming any person righteous, this is how it happens. And there is no other way. And he says how. It's, it's believing on him that raised up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And it talked about Jesus. Who was delivered for our offenses, that's our sins, and was raised again for our justification. So there is a righteousness which is of the law, and then there's a righteousness which is of faith. And the righteousness of faith is the only faith, the only righteousness that will save. It's actually the only people who have that faith are really believers. God declares in the gospel that all who believe will not suffer the due punishment of their sins. They are the ones who will be considered righteous. And it's because God says it that we believe it. God says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will escape punishment. You will not have your sins connected to you. And we'll have a little more detail as we go along. To each believer, the gospel is a proclamation of their own pardon. If and when we believe, God accepts us as righteous. The just man or the righteous man shall live by his confidence in God. And live means he shall live, he shall become alive, he shall be alive by his confidence in God. And then, we were at the end of chapter 4, what is the result of that believer who is justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the result? Well, here it is, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, just like Abraham was, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God means we no longer have our sins looming on us. We no longer actually need to have, let's say it this way. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an illustration. Some of us are pack rats. We have lots of stuff laying around and it gets in the way and we've got to reorganize it every so often. And we try to make it better, but then later on, there it is again. You've got to walk around it or you've got to put it away or, uh, well, or whatever happens. And you don't use it, but it just gets in your way and it's always a bother. You haven't used it for the last three years. At some point of your life, you decide, that's enough of this. You take some of the stuff that's good to a garage sale. You take the rest of it. And you junk it. Actually, most of us who are pack rats just junk it. (laughs) And it's gone. 
And you no longer have to even think about it. And wherever that stuff was, you have now a open area and you're, 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 you're done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It's gone. That's how our sins are. When you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are gone and they will not come back on you. Well, there's a qualification, obviously. We, we won't talk about that. We have peace with God. Peace with our judge. <laughs> That's amazing. No longer do we need to fear death. This is the gospel that Paul is not ashamed of when he talks in Romans chapter 1, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. There's your faith. And talk to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein, in that gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, there's a song that we sang that we did not sing this morning. But uh, it's I think it will become my favorite song, song Psalm 416 in here. And we sang it a few weeks ago. O love divine, what hast thou done? I thought I would read the first two verses, although we could read them all. O love divine, what hast thou done? The incarnate God has died for me. The Father's co-eternal Son bore all my sins, all my sins upon the tree. The Son of God for me hath died. My Lord, my love is crucified. Is crucified for me and you to bring us rebels back to God. Believe, believe, the record's true. Ye all are bought with Jesus' blood. Pardon for all flows from his side. My Lord, my love is crucified. Faith is the major component of salvation. The natural man needs to first see, and then he believes. The man that God approves of, when he speaks, that man believes, and then he sees. That's faith. When God speaks, we believe it. We may not even see it. We may never see it in this life, but we believe it. That is faith. His faith rests in the confidence of the character of God. If God said it, accept it, believe it, and build your life around it. There's a few verses that emphasize faith that I thought I would read. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, is very familiar verses. For by grace are you saved, and that is through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There we have faith 
again contrast it with works. God's righteousness and man's righteousness. Colossians 1, verse 21 to 23. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled, how? In the body of his flesh through death. And what's the result? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, in that sight, in the time of judgment. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And that hope of the gospel is that very thing. No judgment can see the face of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Jesus. Now, after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. To believe God implies that God has spoken and it means that we are sure that his words will come true or his words are true and his promises will come true. John chapter 3 verses 10 to 12 is with Nicodemus. He had a problem as well. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify what we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. You don't believe. I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? We had a problem of faith here. We had a problem of God speaking through the Lord Jesus, and they're not believing it. In fact, once... People from the audience asked Jesus, what shall we do that we might do the works of God? <laughs> we want to do the works of God, too. And you probably know what Jesus said. Some of you do. That this is the work of God. Believe on him whom he sent. Believe. The act of faith is submission to God. Now I have one more verse to look at this morning that is very important. And this verse sets the stage for the next step of the Christian who is justified by faith and not of works. In other words, I wanted to bring out clearly that there is a righteousness which is of God. And it is only by faith, not by your works that you can please God. But here is the stage for the next step of the journey of a new believer. And that is in Romans chapter 5, and we'll, and we'll read verse 5. It's a very interesting thing here. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. This verse in, in the fifth chapter of Romans is the first place that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. In this book of salvation, 
you go through four whole chapters and there's no mention of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that somewhat unusual? Seems odd. It's all about sin. It's about salvation by God's righteousness. And now, only now, is the Holy Spirit mentioned. And he brings them in without any fanfare. Just mentioned that the Holy Spirit is given. That's all he says. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit sheds abroad love in our hearts. That's what he does. Well, to whom is the Holy Spirit given? It's given to believers. <laughs> Those who repent and believe the gospel. Those who accept the grace and salvation that God offers. Those who believe that Jesus died in their place and took their sins, his, their sins upon himself. And then the Holy Spirit comes to that true believer. In the new covenant, unlike the old covenant, even unlike Abraham, the believer receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Abraham didn't actually get that. But all believers in the new covenant receive the Holy Spirit. To become a believer in the Bible sense and not be washed and not be cleansed and not be sanctified is unknown in the scripture. I have a co-worker that I was training this week. And as usual, he's with me for several days and we get to know each other. And I've, he's 22 years old. He has three children. The oldest is five. He's been living with his fiance for two years. They plan to get married next year. <laughs> How would you start a conversation with such a person? Well, I noticed one time that he has Psalms 23 tattooed on his inner arm. <laughs> That's interesting. So I asked him, how does Psalms 23 correspond with your lifestyle? And he said, oh, it doesn't. <laughs> no, but they're planning to get married. But uh, right now, right now, not so good. Okay. I know I don't remember our whole conversation that we had anymore, but I, I know that I we we had a very good conversation. It wasn't confrontational. It was just a discussion. It was actually one of those conversations that I you pray to have. Let's say it that way, because you can't always have these conversations. It was very good and very cordial. But I took him. I I had my phone along, open to the scripture in first first Corinthians chapter six. Where it says, Paul's saying to certain people, said, don't be deceived. He said, there are certain people who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will not inherit it. They will not go to heaven. And I went down the list and it included his sin. You probably wouldn't want to go with me on the truck. 
and we had other conversations. And uh, oh, he went he went for a number of years to a, a church near Lilith, that Grace Church, that big church at the end of Dill Run Road. That's where he went to church for a number of years. But the uh, pastor left, and the youth pastor left, and he followed the youth pastor to another church. And he's really close to the youth pastor. And I asked him, well, what what, what did the youth pastor think? What does he think about your situation? Would he accept you as members of you, uh, of his church? Because they're not members. Uh, yeah, he would. He said, are you sure? Well, hmm, maybe not, not sure. He wasn't sure. Then he wasn't sure anymore. Then he said, well, would, would I be welcome at your church? I said, yeah, you'd be welcome to come here. Um, but we would not accept you. Uh, and then I went through the whole process. I don't have to tell you everything. So, of course, he's a believer. He believes that Jesus died for his sins. He believes the gospel. But there's something majorly missing here, okay? To become a believer in the Bible sense and not be washed and cleansed and sanctified is unknown. When a person receives the Holy Spirit, he becomes a saint. Where it is such a blessing to live around all you saintly people. Well, saint simply means a holy one or a separated one. You're separated. You're not your average run of the run of the mill. If you are a believer, a true believer, you're not the average run of the mill person anymore. Just like a utensil that in the in the old covenant when it was dedicated to the temple or some kind of service it was no longer a common tool instrument <laughs> vessel it was sanctified it was now for a specific purpose when you are a believer you have to become a saint you're now a, a you're now set aside for a particular purpose the spirit of the holy god is in you You are now possessed by a different spirit than what you had before. And Paul speaks much in the rest of Romans about walking in after the spirit versus walking after the flesh. And, uh, but by calling a saint, by calling us saints, God declares that his will is that we live a life in which he is the one and only aim. We are now dedicated to God. But in our prior experience, when we tried to do what was right, <laughs> we failed. But now there is a spirit of God in you. There is a power in you. God says, and this is where, where faith comes in at. God says you do not have to listen to that flesh. He says, you don't have to. That flesh is dead. And we'll, we can talk about it maybe, maybe in, the, in the baptism next Sunday. When you are buried with Christ, your old man was buried with him. And it actually says, reckon it so. That's the same word, reckon, as imputed. Reckon it so. Believe that your old man has had a death blow. A death blow. And that now there's the power of the Spirit of God inside of you. That's a part of the faith also. So we have a power. 
It is the uniform teaching of the Bible that no one will be ultimately saved except those who persevere in a life of holiness. Or you could say in a life of walking after the indwelling spirit. That is very clear in scripture. God says that we need to believe that as well. God never promised eternal life to people unless they show uh, they persevere in a life of holiness as to show that it is their character. It's their settled and firm rule of action. Not merely external conduct, but it's actually a part of the heart expression. It's what the Bible says, it's the circumcision of the heart. That is reality for every true believer. And that's by faith as well. Holiness brings with it the secondary idea of separation. Now, we don't preach separation very much here. I know some churches preach separation a lot. We don't preach separation much, but separation is a Bible reality. It's a, in fact, separation is actually scorned in most of modern religious culture. But separation is simply, simply meaning being set apart for God. And the more alien from, alien from God that the structures and the objects and the attitudes, the more alien from God the things are, the more stark that separation, the more contrasted that separation will be for a believer, the more conspicuous, let's say it that way. But the point this morning is not separation. We could have a message to that sometime. The point this morning is salvation is a gift. There is a righteousness of God. This righteousness is available because Jesus died on the cross in our place. He died the death that we deserve. If we believe God... That what he tells us about our sin, if we believe God that we are sinners and we believe that we are not doing right, and if we believe that there is a coming judgment, and then we believe that forgiveness is offered to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe that, we receive the righteousness of God by faith. Then he gives us the promised Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be born again, to be born from above. And now we have peace with God. And now we begin to walk a whole new life, a whole new walk with God through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And in that we actually become objectively holy. God is now, for a true believer, God is actually the aim of his life. It's the aim, it's the purpose, it's the effort, it's, it's, it's what he is living for, to live for God. 
We are believers whom God has claimed for himself. So this morning, I guess the question comes to each one of us. Do I have peace with God? Do I know that my sins are forgiven because I have believed on him? By faith. Or am I under the burden of performing? Under the burden of trying to do what is right? And failing and trying again and failing. We could go, of course, in Romans 7 and we could dissect some of that. But we won't this morning. But the point is, faith, true faith, faith in God, faith in what God says is the true answer to anyone's dilemma here this morning. Whether you are not a Christian and you have whatever your issues are, or whether you are a Christian but you're struggling, is to come back to the foundation. The foundation of faith. It's God's righteousness. If you have believed in Jesus, your sins are not following you. And if you have the Holy Spirit, it's as simple as believing God and walking in that. Why don't we... Can you kneel for prayer? Let's kneel for prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to you, Lord, for taking our place on the cross. You saw our need much more than we saw our own need. You loved us long before we loved you. In fact, Lord, we are just responding to your love. That is what we are doing. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that there's an avenue made open for us and that by faith we can receive that grace, the grace of your goodwill, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand and help us, Lord, to believe and to continue to believe and to be strong in faith and to give glory to God. As we believe, Lord, because you have said it and we have believed it and our lives, Lord, we build our lives around that reality. And then, Lord, we can give glory to you and we can encourage one another. And we do not need to be ashamed either of our gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you this morning. Pray you'd help each one of us to live in the reality of that all the days of our life. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.